0: Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from September 12th by Pastor Randy, titled, Seven Churches in Revelation, The Church at Thyra Tyra. All right, so we have been looking in the book of Revelation, the letters that Jesus writes to the churches, the seven letters. And what we have said is that we can see in these seven letters what Jesus expects from his church. See, God's problem has never been enough buildings with the last name church in it. God's problem has always been having a people that want to live out what he expects them to live out. And so Jesus tells us exactly what he expects from each of these churches. And what I need you to do is to take this very personally. Because that's how it's presented to us in Scripture. We don't see it so much in our English translations, but in the Greek he goes from speaking to the church in general to speaking to individuals. So let's make this sort of individual. What Jesus gives is what he expects from you, what he expects to have in your life. And although you may have a lot of good qualities and a good characteristics, which you all do, if you don't have these seven things, what Jesus is saying is that you're basically being sort of faithless and disobedient. And so take these letters personally, because that's how they're written. That's how they all end on a very personal note. And so we have seen where Jesus expects us to love him. He expects us to endure suffering, to hold to the truth, to take advantage of opportunity. And now we're going to see today where Jesus expects us to be holy. And for that, we go to his letter to Thyatira. Now, a little bit of background about Thyatira. Thyatira was definitely the smallest city of these seven cities that Jesus writes these letters to. But Thyatira was located at a crossroads. It was a very commercialized city. There was a lot of trade and commerce going on. And they had all these trade guilds in Thyatira. Now, think of trade guild. Think of a union combined with a fraternity and sorority. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But they had trade guilds for bronze workers, for, for cobblers, for weavers, for potters, for tanners. For dyers, and what I mean for for dyers is outside the city, they had this plant that had a purple root, and they would use that to to dye cloth with. In fact, in Acts 16, you recall Lydia uh, had had a little Bible study going. She was a dyer of purple from Thyatira. Uh, So that's sort of a background of the city. Now, these trade guilds were were very powerful. Uh, they, They controlled all the economy in the city. Now, going back to what I said before of understanding that these were like unions combined with fraternities and sororities, every trade guild had their own little god, and they always had a party going on. So you had your own idol worship, from each of these trade guilds had their own idol that they worshipped, and they always had a party going on, and that party always involved immorality. Uh, basically, sort of like orgies going on. And you were expected, if you were a trade guild, you were expected to be a part of that. And if you weren't, you could be kicked out. Then you'd have no way to feed your family. So there's a lot of pressure to be a part of these trade guilds. And all they were doing there's a lot of pressure on the church to be a part of this and to be a part of that part of that immorality it went along with it. A lot of pressure to conform. So that's the letter that Jesus is writing to Thyatira. That's the background of Thyatira. So let's start off. Revelation 2, right to the angel of the church in Thyatira, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance, and know that your last works are greater than the first. So there's a lot of good qualities going on. Love, faithfulness, service, endurance, or love resulting in service and faithfulness resulting in endurance. A lot of good qualities. And even more than that, They they had some growth going on. There was some, some ministry was happening. There was some growth going on. But, like a lot of these churches, there was an issue that they were avoiding that was so essential to what it means to follow after Christ that if they don't get this straight, it doesn't matter about these good qualities. Again, we need to hear this personally, that we can have a lot of good things going on in our life, but if we miss this one area... If we missed what God expects of us, that's a fatal flaw. And so here it is. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Do you remember the church at Ephesus that we talked about? The church at Ephesus They would not endure false doctrine, but they didn't have any love. Well, now Thyatira is just the opposite. They have some love, but they're tolerating this false doctrine. You may know people like that, that they have very strong morals, but they don't know how to love, or they're good at loving, but they have no morals. And both are wrong. Uh, So that's uh, that's what's going on here. Uh, this is different from the church at Pergamon. The church at Pergamon that we looked at last week, they had other people who were teaching false doctrine, who were teaching the untruths. And, but, right, but the church at Thyatira, they have people in their church that are following after that. So that's the difference between this week and last week. But the first word that I want to focus on, uh, and let me go back to the first word I want to focus on, is this word tolerate. Or tolerance. That's a virtue today. That we're to be very tolerant. And tolerate others. Now when I was growing up. What that meant. Was that you would show honor. And respect. And even compassion. For people who had a different value system than you did. People who who looked at things differently. People who made them believe believe things different than what you believed. You had honor, respect, and compassion for them. But now we're under this new tolerance, which says you have to agree with what they say, that you count as equally value what they believe is what you believe, that you, you're able to even promote and value their beliefs. For example, in, in the area of religion, the tolerance today that's being taught today is, look, hey, all roads lead to God. And you must be able to allow other people to believe what they want to believe and, and, and say, that's okay. You know, that's, that's what you want to believe. That, that's good. You believe that. And, and, and I support you in what you believe. And I will value that belief just like you value it. And to do differently would be seen as very intolerant in our culture. Now, according to that definition, Christianity and Islam, a few others, are very intolerant. But here's what I want you to understand, that this new tolerance today is actually intolerance. It's like the the public official that said, we will not tolerate intolerance. What is the act of not tolerating intolerance? Could it be Intolerance. Every year at the Southern Baptist Convention, there's some gay rights groups that will protest outside the Southern Baptist Convention. It happens every June in different cities. And they're protesting because they want the Southern Baptist Convention to open up their, their culture, open up the convention, so that homosexuals can have a voice in it, so that they can be a recognized people group, so that they can have some influence. Because that would be the tolerant thing to do. So let me get this straight. You're wanting us to turn the back on what the Bible teaches, the very basis of our faith, to basically turn our backs on our faith in order to accommodate a few people in this vocal group? Does anybody else not see the irony in this? That, the, that the, what they're doing in demanding tolerance is back to actually being intolerant. The one thing they can't tolerate is having a group of people who want to live their life by biblical values. They won't tolerate that at all. And that's the case. A lot of this new tolerance is actually intolerance. Consumer Reports magazine, what they put out in their magazine is they list cars and trucks and appliances that they have tested. And they say some are superior and some are inferior. Well, According to new tolerance, that's a very intolerant thing to do, calling something else inferior. How can you do that? Kids in school, they're allowed to wear T-shirts that say WWE SmackDown, but they can't wear T-shirts that have a cross on it. Doesn't sound very tolerant to me. Or you can do a report on Greek mythology or Eastern religions, but don't you do a report on Christianity or Jesus. Jesus. That doesn't sound very tolerant to me. Or my younger son was at Service High School. He was putting up posters that was advertising the Bible study after school. And the principal says, you can't put those posters up because they have the word Bible in them. Doesn't sound very tolerant to me. The new tolerance is just not very tolerant at all. And, and that's what I, I want you to, to see about that because this is exactly what was going on in Thyatira. Tolerance says, you must approve of what I do. You must agree with me. You must go along with what I do and what I believe. Now, God is not behind that type of tolerance that would cause us to lay aside our biblical principles. But that's exactly what the people were doing in Thyatira. And the next word in that verse, we'll go back. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, who is was Jezebel. Jezebel's probably not her name, okay? Remember, this is Revelation. It's a very apocalyptic book with with a lot of energy going on in it. This is probably a woman who had a character like Jezebel did in the Old Testament, who's as scheming and immoral and wicked as Jezebel was. And what's she doing? She's standing up to the church and saying, I have a word from God. It's okay for you to go to these trade guilds and, and sacrifice to their gods and be involved in this immorality. After all, you have to feed your family. It's okay to go to these temples and be involved in the temple prostitutes and, and, and worship these other gods. After all, I mean, we're under grace, it's okay with God. He's got lots of grace to give. Or it's okay to go ahead and be involved in immorality uh, that, that's offered here temples. After all. You know, look at all the good qualities you have. you got service and faithfulness and, and endurance. Look, look, at, look at all these things, good things that's going on in your life. So what she was teaching is that it's okay to indulge your lust and still be a part of the church. And a lot of people were following after her. So the question I ask, have you? Have you... Fall into thinking that it's okay, you can be involved in immorality, you can be involved in sex outside of marriage, or any of its forms, and you can still be okay with God, and still be a good member of the church. Still represent Him, still be a part of His body. Now, you may be thinking, how could anybody who remotely knows the Bible think that that's okay? We got whole denominations that thinks that's okay. There are whole denominations that, that support homosexuality and, and, and support that with inside their church. And they think that's okay. And don't you think they think homosexuality is okay? Other parts of immorality is okay? I mean, they opened the door to that a long time ago. So don't think that That someone coming and teaching immorality is okay and a church buying for it is too far-fetched. That goes on all the time. Not only that, but what you need to understand, from my perspective, what I see is that the greatest pressure to be immoral doesn't come from people outside church. It comes from inside the church. Where other Christians, other people you go to church with say, hey, let's go see this movie. Let's go have sex. Let's go do this. And the greatest pressure comes from other Christians. This is very real. It's what we face. Here's the next verse. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. People will go to hell and people will continue on in their immorality not because they didn't have opportunity to repent, not because they couldn't repent, but because simply they did not want to. It's a matter of the will, plain and simple. Next verse. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works. I will throw her into a sickbed, the bed that she used to promote immorality is now going to become her bed of sickness. Or the very means through which she used to promote immorality is the very means in which God is going to discipline her. Or to uh to, to put it a, another way, often what you seek after becomes your punishment. We see this a lot throughout the Bible. In the book of Ruth, Elimelech, uh He decides to take his whole family and move them from Bethlehem over to Moab during a time of famine. Now, you need to understand this move. He's going from where God's people are at, where the promised land is, and he's going from there over to Moab where they worship idols and sacrifice kids to these idols. Tell me, who in Moab is going to teach them the Torah? Who in Moab is going to teach them to? to, To remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Who's going to be with them and worship on the Sabbath day? Nobody. But he's willing to take his people out of Bethlehem and move them to Moab. Why? In order to live. Because there's a famine going on. And what does he wind up doing? He dies. Him and his two sons, they die. What we seek after often becomes our punishment. Haman. Remember him in the Old Testament. He's out to, to, to hang Mordecai up on the gallows because he's a Jew and he can't stand him. And what happens? Haman winds up getting hanged on his own gallows. What he seeks after becomes his punishment. That's what he's telling Thyatira. You need to repent because if you don't, that bed of sin is going to become a bed of sickness. Okay, So to repent of her works. And then the next verse. I will strike her children dead. Now it says her children. It's not her physical children. These are those who's following her teachings. Who's saying, sure, we'll we'll still continue to come to church here. And we will go out and be involved in this immorality. No big deal. Then all the churches will know. That I am the one who examines minds and hearts. All the churches are going to, when I come and I deal with this, everybody's going to know. Think of it like this you have a bunch of kids, you discipline one kid, the other one straighten up. You go tell the one kid, look, go get a switch, go in your room, pull your pants down, I'll be there in a minute to deal with you. Then you turn to the other kid and say, clean up your mess. Yes, sir, daddy, right away. And that's what Jesus is saying is going to go on. Every, all the churches, they're going to know, and they're going to take notice of this. And what are they going to know? That I am the one who examines the minds and the hearts. You remember how in verse 18 we read, a, go read that, that Jesus is the one who has like eyes like fire, examining the minds and the hearts. Why is this important? Because this is where holiness begins, in your heart, in your mind. It has to begin with your very thoughts. So he is the one who examines the minds and hearts and I will get each one according to your works. He describes himself also in verse 18. If you remember me telling you that these descriptions have to do with the church and what he's doing to the church in verse 18, not only does he said he has eyes like fire, but feet like bronze. You know what that means? That's a sign of judgment. He's able to stamp out and deal with the people who are sinning. He's perfectly able to deal with them. Right. So that's, That's where this church is at. Now, two things that I want you to get from this church. Look at this church. Number one is this. God's wrath is real. I will throw her onto a bed of sickness. People take sexual sin lightly because they take God lightly. Here's what I want you to understand in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does God say, don't get involved in sex outside of marriage because somebody might get pregnant. Don't get involved in sex outside of marriage because somebody might get a disease. He doesn't say that. He says, don't get involved in sex outside of marriage because I told you not to. Because that's what I expect of people who are following after me. Look what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Well, that's not first Thessalonians 5. All right. Here's what it says in first Thessalonians 5. Let me get my glasses out and I will read it to you. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Beginning at verse uh excuse me, not chapter 5, that's the problem, it says chapter 5, it's chapter 4, okay, that's where we went wrong at, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3, for this is God's will, your sanctification that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. Important phrase there. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. And we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So God's will is our sanctification that we be holy like he is. And, and what I want you to understand is that God treats sexual sin seriously because it goes against His purpose that he has for your life. And when you reject this, when you say, no, I don't care what your purpose is. If I want to get involved in sex outside of marriage in some form, whatever form it may, I will go ahead and do it. If you reject that, What are you doing? Who are you rejecting? You're rejecting God. Okay? That's what I want you to understand. You're rejecting God. God's wrath is very real. Why? Because you're rejecting him. And here's what else I I want you to understand. That there's a connection between your body and your soul. Or between the physical and the spiritual. Jesus never, never says, look, I don't care about your body. I just came to save your soul. No, because as far as he's concerned, they're connected. Let's let's get through this. and, And let's read this verse here in 1 Corinthians 6. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. God's not interested in any rented out places. He wants to own. And he owns you. There is a connection. What are you saying is, look, I am there in your body. There's a connection between the physical and the spiritual. Not only is there a connection between the physical and the spiritual, there's a connection between immorality and idolatry. Here's what we in Ephesians 5. For know and recognize this, every sexual, immoral, or impure, or greedy person who is an idolater. Because that's what an immoral person is. An idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So I want you to understand there's a connection between the spiritual and the physical and between immorality and idolatry. So that's why he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you reject this, you're rejecting me which means the only way that you can overcome immorality in your life is when you want to be totally God's, completely His, 100%. Because those connections are there and you can't separate those. Now, the second thing uh, in this, the question is this, who is the Jezebel in your life? See, we hear a lot of voices. A lot of voices want our attention. And this is what Christina illustrated for us today. Very aptly. Who's a Jezebel in your life? Who's the one that's trying to lead you away from God? Could be that college professor. Could be that musician you like so much. Could be that talk show host. Could be the person you're dating. Could be that friend at school. Who is it? Who's a person that's trying to lead you away? Where's those voices coming from? Who's a Jezebel that's standing up and telling you it's okay? You can be involved in sexual immorality. God's not. He doesn't take it that seriously. It's no big deal. Everybody else does it. Who's the person that you're hearing that from? That you think you can. Be okay with God and live an unholy life. And that He's not going to come and deal with that. Where are you hearing that at? Here's how all these end. In Revelation chapter 2, just a few verses down, verse 29. It says this, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. If anyone who has ears to hear, let the Spirit, anyone who has ears to hear the Spirit, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. If you have ears to hear. What's that assume? It assumes somebody's talking. Who's talking? God is. The question is, are you listening? So are you listening to Jezebel? The Jezebel in your life, or they have a voice. Or are you listening to them or are you listening to God? Because both are speaking. Who are you listening to? And that's easy. Who are you following? Who's influencing you? Are you walking in holiness and purity or are you walking in immorality and lust? That tells you whose voice you're listening to. So what I need you to understand is that God's trying to speak to you as an individual. Again, right now in this verse, it's not directed to the church. It's directed to the individuals, to you, 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 you. He's talking to to us. He wants us to take this personally. Are you listening to his voice? Because we have a culture full of Jezebels out there, and they're trying to to give us, as we saw, the bad directions, bad advice, things that will wind up destroying your life. And where's that coming from? It could be coming from your music you listen to. It could be coming from the TV shows that you watch. It could be coming from the... Radio personalities or the blogger or, or the college professor or something. You know, where's that coming from? But the other choice is that we have a God. He's also speaking. That's part of his nature. He speaks all through the Bible. He he's wants to communicate with us. He's a communicator. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus would say. I'm speaking, my sheep hear my voice. Are you listening to that? Because if you're listening to his voice, you're going to be pushing away from all that immorality in all its forms and running toward Jesus and his holiness and his purity. Because your body and your soul are connected. Because immorality and idolatry are connected. And you wind up rejecting God. And what Jesus is telling Thyatira, you don't want to be there because if my people want to reject me, I will come and I will search their minds and hearts. I will reveal what what's the thoughts and what they think about. And I have the power to do something about it. Those who follow you, they will also cast down to a bed of sickness. We need to listen to that. But more importantly right now, you need to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And let's go back to what he told them. Repent. Repent. Turn away from that and start following me. And if you don't choose to do that, it's not because you don't have the opportunity. It's not because you can't. It's just because you have said, no, I'm just not going to do it. That's the choice you have. And you get to choose. Choose. Which way you want to go? Okay, I'll admit. It's not the most uplifting message you'll ever hear in a church. But it's one that's needed. It's one that you have to deal with. But I'm telling you, the most joy you'll find in your life is when you're ready to follow through with that repentance. Is when you're ready to make that real in your life. Then you know what you'll find? You're becoming exactly what Jesus expects you to become. And then that judgment becomes joy in your life. That pressure to perform that the world's putting on you, all of a sudden you have a peace because you know you're right with God. Man, things can change. Things can change. And you'll find out... Do it God's way, and it's the best thing that will ever happen to your life. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.